I want to invite you that you would open your Bible to the book of James, chapter 3. And we took our time through the first two chapters of James as James is explaining two characteristics of the mature Christian. In James chapter 1, he says that the mature Christian who has a living faith is patient in trouble. That person is patient in trouble, the Christian with a mature living faith. In James chapter 2, he then exhorts the church that the mature Christian, the characteristic of the person with the living faith, practices the truth. Not only patient in trouble, but also practices the truth. And here in James chapter 3, he explains that the mature Christian with the living faith, with the real saving faith, has power over his tongue. Power over the tongue. Today, we're going to talk about the member of the body that has caused the most damage and division in the church. And that is not your neighbor. That is the tongue. The tongue. In fact, we titled the message this morning, Watch Your Words. Would you say it out loud with me? Watch your words. The tongue is another test to determine whether or not you have living or saving faith. And this is what James is saying there in chapter 3. That is another test to see whether the Christian has living faith, real faith, true believers will and must have a sanctified tongue. That means that your tongue is set apart holy for God's use. It is no longer a part of the old man, the old nature, the old sin. The new tongue, the sanctified tongue, is set apart for holiness for God's special use. And the new believer, the true saving believer, will and must have a sanctified tongue. Why? Because from the new birth, Christ has given us a new tongue. All things have become new. And also because the new person has a responsibility to control the tongue. Not only has God given you a new birth through regeneration, but he's also by giving you the power and the will to control the tongue. And we speak so much with our tongues, so it's important that we pay attention. In fact, it's been said that men speak anywhere between 18 to 25,000 words a day. Can you believe that? 18 to 25,000 words that men speak a day. Well, studies also show that women speak 30,000 words a day. I don't know who counted those words or that number. I, you know, the problem happens when man comes home from work and he's already spoken his 25,000 words that day. And the woman hasn't started with her 30,000. We need to watch our words because we speak a significant amount of words of day. Yesterday, we were at the park with my son who is playing soccer and I'm assisting as one of the coaches and I get very passionate, very competitive. I naturally have that competitive spirit. So I'm there on the sidelines and I'm yelling at the kids. I'm telling them, push the ball up and kick it and score. And, I, and my wife's texting me, you need to calm down. The parents are gonna get upset at you. And then one of the other team players pushes a girl on our team. And I call her over in front of all the parents. I tell her, listen, if he pushes you again, you push him back. 
And the referee's looking at me, giving, giving me his hands, like, just calm down. And the Lord reminds me, Art, wait, what, what did you say you were going to teach tomorrow Sunday at church? <laughs> I said, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that no one asks me here what I do for work. <laughs> we need to watch our words. You can tell if you're truly saved by the way that you walk, but you can tell also that you're truly saved by the way that you talk. It's a part of regeneration. It's a part of being born again. Being a new creation means that you have new speech. And here we find the evaluation of the tongue is the revelation of the heart. Remember that this morning, the evaluation of the tongue is a revelation of the heart. We demonstrate a living faith by the things that we say. Now, the spiritually immature person, they have no power over their tongue. They say whatever comes to mind, whatever they feel, they let their emotions speak. That's not what James is saying for us to do. In James 1, 19, he's already said it. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to speak. God has given us such a great power in the ability to speak. The, the, the power of speech has to be one of the greatest powers he's given us. In fact, it's a part of our constitution. We have the liberty of what? Speech. To talk, to say, to be able to communicate with words. In fact, with the tongue, we can praise God. With the tongue, we can pray. We can preach God's word. We can lead someone to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's, a, it's an encouragement. It's a privilege to know what we can do with our tongue. But the same tongue, we can also tell a lie. With the same tongue, in spite of all the good that we can do with it, we can also ruin a person's reputation. Well, with the same tongue, you can also still break a person's heart. It's been said before that the tongue is a tattletale. It tells on the heart. It is the organ that the heart expresses itself by. So how does the heart express itself by? The heart expresses itself by the tongue, by way of the mouth, by way of the tongue. It is the monitor of the heart, the, the tongue. In fact, when you go to the doctor and they want to know if you're sick, you know what they say? Let me see your tongue. That's what James is saying. You call yourself a Christian? Okay, you say you have living faith? Oh, okay. You're a believer. Let, let me see your tongue. Let me see if you're really a Christian. I, I want to know how you talk. Let me see your tongue. You go to the doctors, you know what they can put under your th tongue? A, a, a thermometer to find out what your physical temperature is. Well, James chapter 3 is the thermometer that the Lord puts now, to find out the spiritual temperature of the Christian by way of the tongue. You want to find out the spiritual temperature, the condition of the heart, the condition of the spiritual life of a person? Just listen to how they talk. Listen to what they talk about. Listen to what they say about other people. You see, nothing is more liable to tell of the total depravity of man and of sin than the tongue. So James here is saying, measure your speech and see that it's consistent to the reality of the faith that you claim that you say you have. Measure it by your words. 
Let's see if you truly have saving faith. These are warnings. These are words to Christians, to teachers. Pay attention. In fact, I want to invite you that you would stand with me this morning for the reading of his word. We'll begin there in James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We'll use our tongue to read God's word out loud. Amen? Amen. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who has been made in the similitude of God. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? So, Lord, we come before you right now with your word in our hands. We ask, Lord, that you would wash our minds, our hearts, that out of our lips would come your goodness, your grace, gentleness, patience, self-control. Lord, that the condition of our heart would be so clearly seen in the words that we use and that they would honor you. So let us receive this message as if it were for us personally, in Jesus' name, together we would say, amen. You may be seated. In the text today, we see three things. The tongue has the power to direct. The tongue has the power to destroy, and the tongue has the power also to delight. This is the tongue's power. And what we are to do as Christians, how we are to live now in light of what Christ has done in our hearts. Now, if the tongue has the power to direct, it also has the potential to condemn. If it can direct your life, it also has the potential to condemn. Notice what it says there in verse 1 of chapter 3. My brethren, speaking to the church, this is a warning of judgment here. My brethren, dear brothers and sisters, Christians, let not many of you become teachers, knowing there that we shall receive a stricter judgment. He said, I want you to know, Christians, let not many of you become teachers in the church. Why the Christians of this time, the Jewish believers that had come to faith in Jesus, they were filled with knowledge. And they had arrogance. They had pride in their mind and in their heart. They wanted to be the spiritual leaders in the church. 
They're impressed with the teaching position of the church, of the prestige of that office, and everybody wanted to hear themselves teach. They wanted to hear themselves speak in public. He says, you may want that, you may desire that, but you're forgetting the tremendous responsibility of being a teacher. So don't rush into that office. Don't just thrust yourself into that position because you have a high liability to abuse the power of the tongue as a teacher. Your words carry a lot of weight. If you're a teacher, maybe Sunday school teacher, maybe teaching other people the faith, discipling, maybe teaching, instructing your children. Notice this, this is for you. Your words carry a lot of weight. You have a tremendous responsibility as God has given you the office, the calling, the gifting of a teacher. And it says, let not many of you, do not just become encouraged. Don't think that because you stand in front of people and you speak, that that is enough. In fact, you may have the right gift, you may have the right education, you may have the right even experience, but do you have the right character? And this is why he says there in verse one, knowing that we, and I love here that he's explaining to the church, I want you to know this. Know this, we, he includes himself in that pronoun. Know this, we who teach receive a higher judgment. Here is the exhortation. You, you are held to a higher standard. We who teach, now, he, he doesn't, just give a warning of judgment without applying it to himself. He includes himself. We who teach, those who have the responsibility to teach God's word accurately. If you have the responsibility to teach God's word accurately, notice you are held to a higher standard. You are held more strictly to a different level of accountability. So he says, don't become a teacher without knowing the responsibility without knowing the requirements, without knowing the cost, take the responsibility serious because the teacher's accountability is greater. Now you may say today, well, I'm not a teacher. Your responsibility is also great and accountability is also great as you follow Jesus Christ. It's more than having a gift. It's more than being in a classroom. It's, it's more than having a, a degree or a credential to teach. You know what it is? It's having the responsibility and accountability and character that begins in the heart. Now, we ought to remember that the teacher's first is responsible to speak the truth on behalf of God. That's why he's speaking to them first. The teacher is not to give personal opinions. The teacher is to rely now on the power of the Holy Spirit and to give one message, and that's the message of the truth of God's word. So what the teacher says, notice, affects many people's lives. Therefore, the teacher is expected to live the truth, not just to teach it. Now I'm gonna say that again, maybe many of you need to hear that the teacher is expected to live the truth, not just to teach it. You know, many people have challenges. They like to be great teachers that are never held accountable to what they say or what they teach or what they know. Most people know more than they actually do. I always ask the Lord to give me grace as I teach his word on a weekly basis. The challenge for me is that my wife also comes to this church. 
So she'll be quick to remind me what I said. You see, it's easy to take the position of a teacher lightly in the church without considering the cost, without considering the accountability. You know what Jesus warned in Luke 12, 48? For to everyone who much is given, much more will be required. If God's given you that gift, God's given you that calling, God's opened up the doors of ministry and opportunity to much that is given, much more will be required. Teachers must practice what they teach. Otherwise, their teaching is hypocrisy. You teach one message, but you live another one. And there's some people that are never respected when they teach. You know why? No one can receive from them because the only time that they're serious is, is when they're behind a pulpit or in a classroom setting or in a specific context. Otherwise, their life is a joke. It's, it's nonsense coming out of their mouth. It's sarcasm. It's an undisciplined life. In 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul tells the church of Corinth, but I discipline my body and I bring it under subjection. I bring it under submission. This is what Paul is saying. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself have become disqualified. I don't want to disqualify myself. I don't want to disqualify my ministry when I preach to other people. My life is not a life of discipline. Think of the damage that can be done by a teacher who's unprepared, who's not fit for that role, whose spiritual life is not up to par. They misrepresent God. So be careful, Christian, that you don't misrepresent God by how you speak. Teachers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ held to a higher, stricter judgment than other people because they were entrusted to teach the truth of the word of God. Their influence, know this, imposes, translates into greater responsibility. There are different levels of judgment. They'll be tested more strictly. They'll be judged more strictly. Paul tells the church of Corinth this. Would you note this? 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, we make it our aim. This is our goal. This is our focus, our pursuit whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. This is what we want to do. We want to be well-pleasing to him. This is our goal. This is our pursuit. We want to please God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each may receive the things that were done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Notice that. We all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the things that you did, whether they were good things or bad things. You will be held accountable. Here in the context of those who teach, teachers are to live lives of examples, good examples. The apostle says this in Hebrews 13, 7, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. Remember those who speak the word of God to you whose faith you can follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Consider how they live. Pay attention to how they live. Not only what they say, how do they live? Teachers are to live with a greater sense of accountability as the apostle would say there in Hebrews 13, 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch over your souls as those who must give in a count. 
We are held accountable to the things that we say as Christians. And the reason why words are so important, why do words matter? Because they give a true estimation and revelation of the spiritual condition of your heart. The things that you like to talk about, the words that you use as a Christian, the focus that you pay attention to in what you like to hear. All of this is important. In fact, verse 2, he says this, for we all stumble in many things. Know this, we all make mistakes. We all sin against God. That's what the word stumble means. You can write that down. We all sin against God. This is not only a stumbling that makes you fall or something that trips you up, but he's referring to sin that hinders spiritual progress. We all sin in a way that hinders our spiritual progress. With that statement, he's not excusing sin. He's not excusing our stumbling. We should all press on. We should live a better spiritual life marked by less stumbling. But as he says this, we all sin, we all stumble, we are, are given in this sinful nature to miss the mark. Notice what he does say, how he compares it. If anyone does not sin or stumble in word, he's a perfect man. We all sin. But if anyone doesn't sin in word, he's a perfect man. If anyone doesn't stumble in word, what does it mean to stumble in word or sin in word? When you gossip, you're stumbling in word. Well, what about when you slander, you speak bad about people? Or you criticize your neighbor, your brother, your sister. You, you are angry, so you show frustration through words or you use flattery. That's also stumbling with word. You're insincere with the words that you're using. Or what about this cursing? That is not right that a person that would say that they have been born again, that they're Christian, that they curse with their lips, that they use bad language or complaining or speaking bad about their church or their leadership. If anyone doesn't sin in these areas, notice what he says, that person is a perfect person that can control themselves in any other way. <laughs> they, they can control their body in every other way. It shows their perfect spiritual maturity. Now, why does he say this in, in, in verse 3 and in verse 2? Because James here has provided a way for us to measure spiritual maturity, not only for teachers, but for Christians. We all stumble. And if there's someone that doesn't stumble in word, then they can control their body in every other way. Why? Because we're all subject to sin with our tongue. We are all subject to sin with our tongue. It is the easiest way to sin with a tongue. Did you know that? The easiest way to sin is with your tongue. In fact, someone said this, remember your tongue is in a wet place. It can slip very easily. You'd say, well, I don't know why I just said that. I just slipped out. The real problem isn't with the tongue. Pay attention, please. The, the real problem isn't with the tongue. The real problem is with the heart. The words just tell of the inner character of the person. Words can tell if there's pride in the heart or if there's humility in the heart. Words can say if there's arrogance in the heart or if there's submission in the heart. If you're struggling with ego or you want to serve other people, your words tell it all. 
In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, notice what Jesus says. He speaks to the scribes and the Pharisees, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? You think you can play the part? You think you can just say good things on the outside? For out of the abundance of the heart, say it with me, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil things. Whatever you have in your heart, it will naturally come out of your lips. You don't even have to try. It's just going to come out. But I say to you that for every idle word, pay attention to this, men may speak, they will give an account in the day of judgment. Did you know that? Every idle word that you say, one day you'll have to give an account. You'll say, well, I, it didn't really matter that I said that. Yes, it did. You will have to give an answer and account for why you said the things that you said. On that day of judgment, God's going to say, okay, let's bring your words into account. Matthew 12, 37 would say this, for by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Why will you be justified by your words? Because they tell about what's in your hearts. I thought I was justified by my faith. Yes, but if your faith is real, it will transform your heart. Therefore, you are justified by your words. In Proverbs 4, 23, Solomon says this, keep your heart with all diligence, protect your hearts. Cultivate a spiritual heart. Guard your heart, for out of it spring out the issues of life. If you protect your heart, you'll make sure nothing comes out of it that is not of the Lord. Guard it, protect it, for out of it spring out every issue of life. Do not be emotional. You know what an immature Christian is? Emotional with their words. They get upset very quickly and they say everything that they feel. Display self-control. Give the Holy Spirit the control of your tongue and of your heart. You can't say, well, I gave God my heart if your tongue still belongs to the world. And there in verse three to five, it says that the tongue not only has the, the power there to condemn, but it also has the power to control, there to direct. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, James 3.3. 3. And we turn their whole body, look also at ships, although they are so large, are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. He's given two examples there. The first example is the bit in the horse's mouth. Notice we put bits in horse's mouth after that harness. Comes into over the horse. The bit that would come into the horse's mouth can control a large and powerful animal. Such a small bit. But it has a significant impact to bring under control, to bring under submission, to bring under obedience the whole body of this wild animal. A small bit can control a very large horse. Do you see the comparison that he's giving, the illustration? And then in verse 4 again, look also at ships. And he describes the ships, they are so large, the size of the ship. While being so large are driven by fierce winds, even though the fierce winds wants to pull them, the winds and the waves and the storms from one direction to the other, even though they have opposing forces Coming against those very large ships, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. 
What is it that directs the ship? A very small rudder, even in the face of strong opposing winds. Did you know that we also have strong opposing winds coming against us, that we need to overcome those opposing contrary forces that want to pull us the wrong direction? What are those strong opposing winds? The old nature that wants to control us, that wants to make us sin, that wants to pull us a different direction. Well, even with those opposing forces, we have a small member that can direct us a different way. So whether it's sin on the inside, pressures on the outside that are seeking to get the control of the tongue, he explains the very same thing. The bit is small, the rudder is small, both are extremely important. Why are they important? They have the power to control. Why is the tongue important? It has the power to control. That's why it's extremely important. If it's not controlled, if the bit is out of control, if the the rudder is not controlled, then the horse and the ship are out of control. Same with the Christian. If the tongue is not controlled, then the life is out of control. If your tongue is not controlled right now, I, I want you to know this. If you are not restraining that tongue, then your entire life is out of control. It's possible that something as small as a tongue can have the tremendous power in your life for either good or evil. Now, what's the question that we must ask ourselves? Well, well, who holds the reins on that harness and on that bit? Well, whose hand is the hand that is on that? Now, manual to direct that rudder. Some people have no hand on the reins or no hands on the rudder to direct or to control. So they say, whatever comes to mind. Other people direct the rudder or direct the reins from emotions, from frustrations, from aspects of their carnal sinful nature. So they say whatever they want to say, and then things become very reckless. So what is James pointing here, the Christian, to do? He points us to have, towards having the Spirit of God live in that new man, directing the hand on the reins, directing the hand on the rudder by the power of the Holy Spirit to control the tongue in a way that pleases God. Why is that important? So that the words that you say are pleasing before the presence of God. The tongue has the power to direct. The tongue has the power to condemn. It has the power to control you. It has the power to direct your life. In fact, not only to direct, but also to destroy. Notice verse 5 there. Even so the tongue, using the previous illustration, is a little member and boasts great things. This is what the tongue does. It it boasts. It's very dangerous. Well, what do we like to do when we get together with friends? We like to boast about great things. We like to exaggerate sometimes. We like to speak arrogantly. Those are all reflections of the heart of man. In the same way, he says there, verse 5, the tongue, although it's a little member, it has a significant large impact. It can boast on something that's so great. And he's giving an illustration. He's giving the example there to say also, see how a gray, a forest, a little fire kindles. How much fire does it take to start a wildfire? Only a small spark. One small spark, what does it do? 
It releases a wildfire with great force. And that's the very same thing that he's saying here. You see, a tiny spark can get a great forest fire to start. Do not underestimate the power and the damage that your tongue can do. It can destroy. It can damage. In fact, someone once said, every one of us is carrying a concealed weapon. All you have to do is open your mouth and it's unconcealed now. We have to have our tongue under control. Under what control? Under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the warning of an uncontrolled tongue, verse 6. Notice the destruction. Notice the damage. And the tongue is a fire. Sometimes we think, you know what? I just have beautiful words. I sound so good. Notice verse 6. The tongue is a fire. It's a flame of fire. He, he describes it for what it is. It's destructive. It has a lethal effect. It spreads rapidly like fire. But what does a fire do? It hurts and it burns. The same thing with the tongue. Notice what the tongue can do with the words that it uses. It can hurt people. It can burn people. It can recklessly damage the lives of other people around us. It is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. If you notice verse 6 as well, it describes it. It is filled with unrighteousness, all kinds of wickedness, sin nature. The tongue is filled with it. It is given over to it. And it's set among its members there, verse 6, that it corrupts or it defiles or it pollutes the whole entire body. Just one small member of your body. Notice it has that much impact to the rest of the body. It's important to know this. Your words can ruin everything around it. Your tongue can ruin everything around it. There are so many people that have a calling, that have giftings, that the Lord maybe had opened up a door to them. But notice, they opened their mouth and they ruined everything. <laughs> and he says this, it, it can ruin your life. It, it ruins Everything around it, it pollutes, it, it corrupts, it, it, it affects the entire body. So much so there in verse 3 that it says that it sets on fire the course of nature and it's set on fire by hell. I want you to circle course of nature. It sets on fire the course of nature. That means it ruins your entire life. It has the potential to do that. Everything in your sphere of influence can be ruined simply by this member, your tongue. You would have been blessed. You would have been used by God. But you don't know how to use your tongue. The most significant way to tell someone's spiritual immaturity by the way that they talk. God could use you. God would use you if you would just grow up and mature so that your tongue can reflect a place where you're walking with Jesus in a disciplined way. And it says that it is set on fire by hell itself. Verse 6. It is set on fire by Gehenna. It's lit by hell. Notice, that's what the tongue is lit by. The, the devil is behind this corruption. The, the devil is behind this influence. The devil wants to influence your tongue. Did you know that? It says it so clearly there in verse 6. In some churches, there are members, maybe even leaders in the church. There can be those in even this church who can't control the tongue. 
Do you know what happens when you can't control the tongue amongst the body of believers? Everywhere you go, you start fires. And if you think that it's always someone else's problem, but every time there's a fire, you're in it, you better stop and realize maybe you're the problem. You're assassinating people's character with your words. You're talking bad about them. You need to stop. Psalms 39.1, you know what the psalmist says? He, he's going to guard himself. Psalms 39.1, the psalmist said, I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I'm going to protect my ways. I don't want to sin with my tongue, knowing how easily it is to sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. I'm going to cover my mouth with a muzzle. I'm going to restrain my words while the wicked are before me. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to guard myself. I'll restrain my words so that I don't sin easily with my words. Now, why is he using these analogies? Is to show how the tongue, even though it's small, has the power to control the whole person and influence everything in it. It can ruin everything. Now, James isn't telling us, you know what, don't speak or take a vow of silence. Sometimes we say, well, if you don't like what I said, then I won't say anything at all anymore. That is not what he's saying. Even though it would be much easier to exercise self-control that way, also know this, the, the bridle, the rudder, and fire can all also do tremendously amount of good if it's controlled properly. What does that mean? That God can use your tongue to glorify him. God desires to use your words to glorify him. When Jesus Christ is the Lord of your heart, then notice what he is. He's also the Lord of your lips. He's also the Lord of your tongue. In fact, I'm going to give you a few verses today, and I want you to take note of them. Number one is use your words wisely, Proverbs 17, 27. Solomon would say this, he who has knowledge spares his words. A lot of people think, well, I know a lot. I have a lot to say. No, that doesn't, not the way it works. People that really, truly have knowledge they say very little. The person that wants to always speak, they have very little knowledge. Proverbs 17, 27, he who has knowledge, spares his word, a man of understanding, is of a calm spirit. He knows how to control himself. He knows how to control his words. In Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. You talk a lot, notice, sin is not lacking. You're bound to sin. You're always talking. You're always loud. You always have something to say. You always want to give your opinion. You always think you're right with your words, but he who restrains his lips is wise. We can all leave today wise, knowing one thing. Today, we're going to restrain our lips. He who restrains those lips are wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many. That's amazing. The lips of the righteous feed many. Are, are, are people being fed with the words that you're giving? Are you bringing life because you're in the word of God? But fools die for lack of wisdom. You ought to use your words wisely. Number two, use your words for encouragement. Encouragement, Proverbs 12, 25. Solomon says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But notice what you can also do but a good word makes it glad. 
If we use our words wisely, we can also use them for encouragement. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but you can come with a good word from the Lord, with the word of God, and make the heart glad. Let us never be afraid of saying, I'm going to go and encourage someone else with my words. I'm going to edify. I'm going to build up. I'm going to now uplift someone else with my words. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words. Notice, pleasant words, kind, gentle, loving, or like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Have you heard someone speak and you just want to continue to hear them speak because it's like honeycomb. It's bringing such a refreshing taste. This is what he said. Pleasant words are like honeycomb. They bring sweetness to the soul. Proverbs 18, 21, speaking with words of encouragement, he says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. You see the impact? Death and life are in the power of the tongue tongue. Use it for life. Don't use it for death. But we also are to use our words, our tongue, not simply with wisdom or with encouragement, but number three, with responsibility. Do not be irresponsible with your words. Psalms 141, verse three, the psalmist says this. This is a prayer that we should pray every day. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Some of us need that, a door over our lips. The psalmist is praying that, Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Would you guard my mouth so that I don't speak foolishly? Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works. With men who work iniquity, do not let me eat their delicacies. It all begins with the mouth being guarded. The door on the lips. You see, the tongue can be the strongest asset, but also it can be the greatest liability in your life. It can be used for blessing. It can also be used for damage and cursing. In Proverbs 15:1, a soft answer turns away what? Wrath. When someone speaks to you, you know what you can do? Turn away wrath. Do not add wood to the fire. Someone insults you. How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond wisely or you will try to defend yourself in the flesh? De-escalate the situation with wisdom. Don't insult. Don't attack. Don't assassinate with your words. Don't disrespect. There's a level of disrespect that takes place in marriages when the husband and the wife have no respect with how they talk to one another. A soft answer turns away wrath, harsh word stirs up. What does it do? Anger. What kind of culture are you creating? What kind of environment are you fostering simply with your words? Words matter. And in James 3, 7, as we go back to our text, for every kind of beast, he gives the reality of its power by using this contrast now. Every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. I want you to realize something. I want you to know something. Every kind of creature, every kind of beast in the sea or in the land has been tamed. It can be tamed by mankind. It it, it can be submitted by conditioning, by training, by discipline, by punishment. I think we've all seen on TV those people, the guys, they they put their head in the entire crocodile's mouth. I said, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? Why would you do that? But they've tamed that wild animal and beast. 
And he says, man has been able to do that. Man has accomplished to have the power to do that, but no one can tame the tongue. No one can submit the tongue to that level. He, he's giving and expressing the reality of its power to damage. The, the sinful nature that inspires words beyond our control. We can't tame our own tongue. He makes and gives the clear point. No man can tame the tongue. You know who can tame the tongue? The Holy Spirit can bring it under subjection. Only the Holy Spirit can bring this destructive force under control. We have to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I surrender my tongue over to you. I surrender my heart over to you. He describes the tongue this way in verse 8. It is unruly. It's reckless. It's a reckless evil full of deadly poison. It can ruin a person's reputation. Unless it's brought under the power of the Holy Spirit. It has to be brought under the control of God. In fact, oftentimes we speak and then we're so surprised at the things that we say. We would even tell people, you know, that's not me. I don't even know why I said that. What do you mean you don't know why you said that? It has to be in you or else it couldn't have come out of you. It has to be in you or else it couldn't have come out of you. Human capacity has the incredible power to sacrifice and self-control at any given capacity and areas except this one. Notice which one it is, the tongue. It has the power to direct, it has the power to destroy, but also has the power to delight. Verse 9, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God, in the likeness of God. Now notice, this is what we do. We bless our God and Father. How do they do it? The Jewish believer, the Jewish Christian, three times a day, they would pray the prayer, blessed be thou, O God. Blessed be thou, O God. Blessed be thou, O God. You can say that all you want. You can quote the verse. You can know the song. You can memorize the scripture. And with it, praise God, bless God, sing to God. But with it, we curse men who have been made in the image and likeness of God. You know what he's doing? He's pointing out the hypocritical inconsistent of blessing God and then cursing man who's made in the very image of the one they praise. We're made in the likeness of God. How can we dare to speak about one another that way or use curse words to other people? How are we made in the image of God? We've been given the capacity to reason, to love, to have relationship. These attributes that God shares with us. Today, people still reflect the image of God, although it's badly marred by sin. We still represent God's image, God's reflection. Therefore, we can't praise God and at the same time then curse our brother who's made in the reflection of who God is. You see the inconsistency? You see how it doesn't make sense? Sometimes we come to church, we praise God, we sing songs, we raise the hands. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Then you get in your car and jump on the 605 and someone cuts you off. And you forgot about goodness and mercy. Out of the same mouth, verse 10, proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. You know what it says? This isn't right. This isn't right. Our speech shouldn't be constantly glorifying God. This isn't right. What comes out of your tongue? What comes out of your lips? 
what kind of songs do you sing? When you turn on the radio in the car, what kind of songs are you singing to? You're a Christian. You only should sing along to something that glorifies God. And don't just say it's music. I like music. Because the music that you allow to come into your heart, into your soul, that, that then is expressed through your lips right after. It, it shouldn't be, you know, when I'm with these people, I have this tone. When I'm in this context or environment, I, I use these words. No, no, it should be consistent. This is not right. Do you remember what happened to Peter? He professed God. He was so bold. He was so impulsive. I'll never deny you. I'll die with you if I have to die with you. Jesus, Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. The woman came up to him and said, you know what? You, you, you sound like him. You sound like a Galilean. You're his disciple. He said, no, I'm not. You know what? To convince them that he was not a follower of Jesus and a lie, you know what he did? He started to curse with his lips. One moment, he confesses Christ. The other moment, he denies him. I heard a story of a, after a long Sunday morning service that a family sat down to eat at the dinner table in lunch at their home. And the father gathered the family. He prayed and he thanked the Lord for the food, for the home, for the day. And they're all holding hands and praying. They said, in Jesus' name, everyone out loud said, amen. After the same father that prayed proceeded to complain about the food. This food is not good. Today, the preacher, his message was not good at all either. The church is bad. This house doesn't work. Complaining about his job. His little daughter there at the table pulls on his shirt and he says, Daddy, did God hear you when you said the blessing today? He said, well, yeah, yes, he did. And did he hear you when you complained right after? He said, well, I suppose that yes, he did. Then she stops and pauses and she tells him, well, then Daddy, which one did God believe Your kids are listening to the way that you talk. It's sad when you learn about parents that don't protect what their kids listen to. How they talk about other people in front of their kids. You better pay attention that you know who's present. Talking bad about your brother and sister in front of your kids. Your church, your leadership. Your boss at work. What are you teaching them to do? To do the very same thing. Are you protecting your kids by the way that you talk in front of them? By the way that you talk to them? Consider the outcome, verse 11. Can a, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can you get spring water and fresh water out of the same place or opening? It's impossible due to the duplicity, due to the contradiction. Can a fig tree, verse 12, my brethren, bear olives and great, or a grapevine bear figs? Can you go to a fig tree and get some olives? Can you go to a grapevine and bear figs there? It's imp that, that contradicts itself. That's not the type of fruit that you get on that type of tree. Do you see what he's saying? That's not the type of words that you should get from that type of person. If you mix good fruit with, with bad fruit, you know what it all only produces? Rotten fruit. A bitter words come from a bitter heart. Pay attention to that, please, today. Bitter words 
come from a bitter heart. You speak bitter words. Why? Because they're coming from bitter hearts. But if we're rooted in the right things, we're rooted in the word of God, you're rooted in prayer today. If you let the Lord speak to you through his word, then our words, you know what they're going to be? The fruit of our fellowship with him. If you allow yourself to be rooted in God's word in prayer, your words are going to be the fruit of your fellowship with him. When you go and talk to people, they're going to recognize this person has spent time with Jesus. The way that they speak only tells of a sweet fellowship, intimate time with Jesus Christ. They've been in prayer. They've been in the word. The fruit of their lips tell it. You see, the fruit of our lips finds the source and the root of our soul. Is your soul being fed from the word of God? You'll either exhibit the works of the flesh or you'll exhibit the fruit of the spirit. Which one? What we say indicates who we are. Today, we should ask the Lord, Lord, would you fill our hearts with your grace so that our lips overflow with your goodness? If you want your lips to overflow with goodness and say, Lord, fill my heart with your grace so my lips overflow with your goodness. How can you tame the tongue? Ask the Lord, number one, change my heart. You must be born again, number one. You want a new tongue? You have to be born again, number one. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it tells us this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That means a new tongue as well. How do you get a new tongue? You must be born again. Number two, you must be filled with the Spirit. You said, well, I'm already born again. Are you filled with the Spirit today? Write this down, please. You must be filled with the Spirit. John 7, 37 He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow out rivers of living water. You're filled with the Spirit? What's going to come out of your heart? The rivers of living water. Your words are going to be anointed. (laughs) That's what we want. Not destructive words, anointed words. You need to be born again. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Number three, you need to be prayerful. Are you spending time praying with God? So that when you speak to people, they would recognize that God has first spoken to you. When God speaks to you through prayer, through his word, and you speak to other people, it changes the way that you talk. Your prayer life will change the way you talk because it works in your heart first. In Proverbs 19 verse 4, notice what his word will tell us. Let the words of my mouth And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let let that be your prayer today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, not simply only the things that I say, also the things that I think about, the thoughts in my heart, the intentions of my heart, let them be acceptable. Let them be pleasing. That our words would rise up into the presence of God like a sweet-smelling aroma. They would be like a sweet incense to the nostrils of God in his presence. That they would bring glory and praise and honor to our Lord, the King and King and Lord of Lords. Amen. Can we stand and pray together?